You're listening to the Cool Collaborations Podcast, a podcast about success in collaboration, where we hear about collaboration successes from around the world, and we'll look into what made those collaborations work. I'm your host, Scott Miller. Hello, and welcome to Season 2 of the Cool Collaborations Podcast. For this episode, episode number 21, the first of this new season, I'm exploring the idea of crowdsourcing as a tool to drive innovation and collaboration. And for this episode, I have the extreme privilege to speak to two people with perhaps the coolest jobs on the planet. Christine Jenkins and Ryan Stewart are challenge coordinators at NASA's Center of Excellence for Collaborative Innovation. The Center of Excellence started as a pilot project for NASA to explore whether crowdsourcing could accelerate and augment their research abilities. Now, it was obviously successful because in 2011, it became a center of excellence for NASA and for the rest of the United States government. My two guests play a critical role in making crowdsourcing happen at the center of excellence. Christine Jenkins has been building solutions across government for her whole career. She has experience on the Orion crew capsule, which has been developed to go to the moon and Mars, held roles with the American intelligence community, and managed projects across both the federal and state governments. Basically, it sounds like if you want something done, Christine's the one to make it happen. And my other guest today is Ryan Stewart. He's got a pretty cool background as well, having been a flight controller for the International Space Station, as well as an instructor for flight controllers, astronauts, and others. We had such a great conversation today that we've made this episode into a two-parter. Be sure to listen to the next part coming in two weeks. Please enjoy our conversation. Good morning, Ryan and Christine. Welcome to the show. Good morning. Good morning. Where are each of you joining from today? I'm joining from just southeast of Houston, Texas, near Johnson Space Center. And I'm just south of Denver, Colorado. So you're taking this remote uh, working thing to the extreme here. You're from all over the country, pretty much. Yeah, I've been doing the remote thing for five years with NASA. It's it's a good thing. It is. Yeah. So when you are speaking with people, you know, about the center of excellence and other things, how do you introduce yourself? How do you provide your background and give a sense of who you are to new people? Christine, let's start with you. Sure. I introduced myself as someone who's here to help help my customer experience crowdsourcing, right? Uh, And for some people, it's a very daunting endeavor, I guess I would say. But we have a lot of experience, many years, hundreds of projects. And we bring that with us along with a vetted set of contractors to help them through the whole process so they hopefully become a zealot. (laughs) Nice. Ryan? That was a good answer. I need to start bringing Christine with me when people ask that question. (laughs) Um, So it's actually a little difficult to explain in general, just because there's most people don't know what crowdsourcing is. And so I find myself constantly having to take a step back every time I try to answer this question to explain the thing that I was just trying to say. But in general, we try to offer like a non-traditional means that we think is particularly good. And I guess we don't just think that, we know it based on almost 10 years of metrics to help the government solve problems. Uh, we, we spend a lot of our focus on NASA since we are NASA, but as a center of excellence for the whole government, we support the government and we try to help them solve problems by utilizing the crowd, which is basically the general public. 
Right. So both of you have pretty uh, impressive technical backgrounds and have you know, obviously been in, in the business working with NASA for a while, but you haven't always been doing this. So how does your background kind of lead you to to this kind of work this and we'll get to we'll we'll dig into the the center of excellence and explain what that is in a second but i'm kind of curious how how your background has brought you sort of to this point brian so my background specifically was not like a linear path to get where i'm at like right and i think that a lot of people do that a really cool thing about nasa is they're very good about allowing their employees to kind of find their niche to find the place that they can support NASA and the federal government the best that they possibly can. And I found this job as kind of a lateral opportunity and it matched my natural skill set very well from the description that I had read and applied and was able to get to it. But what's really cool and why Christine and I both have a technical background, it's not necessary, but it allows us to really fill that role of the integrator. And we have to do a lot of different things in the role that we have. But one of them is to help speak between the technical, often technical subject matter expert and these companies and or procurement or legal. And so for us to understand a little bit of their jargon, maybe engineering or science or whatever that is, can go a long ways to being that really good integrator, which we often have to be. Excellent. Christine. That's exactly it. You hit the nail on the head uh, there, Ryan. My background was primarily... Uh, in system engineering and project management. I worked a lot with the intelligence community and then actually on NASA spacecraft. But that knowledge enables me to be of service to our customers. I work primarily with external federal agencies, so they have all kinds of problems they bring to us. Uh, and just having that knowledge, that basic system engineering skill set, I would say, I kind of consider myself the bartender of system engineering uh, because you have to communicate <laughs> with so many different people. Like Ryan said, there's a whole lot of people that go into making our projects successful. Yeah, we often find that we have to become almost like temporary partial experts in almost every field. All of a sudden, I'm speaking data science one day. And then later that day, I'm talking to somebody about their, you know, outreach project, or I'm doing something completely unrelated that's, you know, very technical and maybe a, a CAD model. And so we have to pull on these little bits of kind of know everything all the time. So uh, I'm getting the sense that we probably have to go back to back to the basic question around the center of excellence, because I suspect people listening will go, wow, this sounds really interesting. What, what are you talking about? So can you explain a little bit of what the NASA Center of Excellence for Collaborative Innovation does, what it is? Sure. Yeah, I'll give it a first shot. So we are here to support the government to get work done, like I said earlier, and that work is anything involved in open innovation or crowdsourcing. So the concept of open innovation is really different than what is traditional for most organizations where they want to hold all their IP, they want to hold all of their secrets or you know everything in and never let any of it out. But what we found is with crowdsourcing is that it can allow you to open little bits out when it makes sense and allow the public to help you. And then you bring in those really good solutions and then you have such a better starting point than you did before because it's like you took the best and brightest solutions that are out there and that's that's the solution that you can move forward with. And so using that idea, we help NASA and the rest of the federal government get solutions using contracts and mechanisms that we have. 
that really was kind of a long-winded way of answering <laughs> that question. Hopefully, Christine does a better job than me. No, that's exactly exactly it. We bring a toolkit of different ways to use open innovation. You know, sometimes it's through a freelancer. Sometimes it's through a small contest. Through sometimes it's through a very high dollar, large multi-phase contest. It just depends on the problem they bring to us. So, if I'm understanding it correctly, you you're searching for or you're you're creating essentially a project around a particular problem and then you're going out to the public essentially to seek their ideas their thoughts and how obviously it depends on how you scope the question but fundamentally you're going to the crowd you're going to the broadest possible solution base i guess or expertise base is that is that a fair way to describe it yeah yeah and i I thought kind of thought of one additional thing to say that maybe helps is that some of the innovations that we've done are really on the government procurement side and the government legal side. It's been figuring out ways to enable us to do these things. And so what's made COSI, the center of excellence, kind of really stand out is that we've navigated the very difficult barriers that can be government procurement and, and government legal, such that we can get these this work this great work done and so occasionally government agencies will come to us and say hey we can't do that we don't have the time or we don't know the right people to be able to to get what you have can we just use your mechanisms we already know all about crowdsourcing can we just use your contracts and mechanisms and we could do that sometimes they come to us and say we don't know anything about crowdsourcing but we heard it it's great tell us why and then we start there and maybe we build a relationship and all of a sudden we have an agreement and we're doing projects together. It's kind of the whole gamut, but a lot of the really good work we've done is just having this infrastructure ready to go. So it's innovation inside the innovation almost. Absolutely. Innovation to deliver it, I guess. Yeah. And then inside the center of excellence, you have to correct me if I've kind of mucked this up, but inside the center of excellence is the, is the NASA tournament lab, which is just one of those mechanisms. Is that right? Yeah, the NASA Tournament Lab is really kind of our tool or maybe multi-tool in your toolbox as a government employee to get work done. It encapsulates pretty much all of the contracts and mechanisms that we have. So if you want to reach out to like our 19 vendors on one of our contracts called Noise2, that's part of the NASA Tournament Lab. If we have an internal crowdsourcing platform called NASA at Work, we consider that part of the NASA Tournament Lab. Really, we consider that NASA Tournament Lab as the tool to get the work done. The only times that we're really not utilizing the NASA Tournament Lab is if it's you know, kind of more providing education or research type work, which we'll do as well. But it pretty much encapsulates all the different contracts and mechanisms that we have. Excellent. Now I want to go, it's funny because this discussion or conversation is going a little bit sort of backwards in a way. We've started off with some discussion of the center and of your background. So let's go to the most basic question, which is, in my mind at least, which is, you know, what is crowdsourcing and why are we doing it? Christine, do you want to, do you want to have a run at that one? Sure. Why not? Uh, <laughs> so <laughs> a senior executive at Sun Microsystems once said, not all the smart people work for any one organization and not all the smart people work for NASA. Or if I'm doing a project for the Centers for Disease Control, not all the smart people work for them. And so crowdsourcing gives us the opportunity to tap into people who you may not have ever just talked to. And a lot of times when people are trying to solve a problem and you're experts in the field, you kind of become closed-minded because 
you have all this experience and knowledge and you know what works and doesn't work, but sometimes a different perspective or applying solutions from a different field is the answer. And you would have never found this had you not broadened your horizons and reached out to the world. Sometimes we only do projects for the United States, but we find as participants, American participants, but we find when we open it up to the world, it's a much greater result. Does the cultural aspect factor into the crowd innovation as well? Do you see a a sort of interesting innovations coming from different cultural backgrounds just because of that cultural background? Absolutely. And, you know, we have examples from, from our experiences. One that uh, Steve Rader, who is the, the head of COSI, likes to use is this problem with the potato chip and getting oil off of the potato chip and not breaking the potato chip. And they had worked for years and years vibrating them and breaking up all your potato chips, which is a very bad thing, right? <laughs> and <Tragic>. the person, <laughs> I think it was Frito-Lay, and they did this competition and the person who won it was someone who was a musician from- A violinist. A violinist, yes. Not a food scientist, right? Working in that community, but totally different, who had noticed what happened to the rosin on her bow, is that right? When um, she was playing and and how was it harmonic frequencies caused the oils to lift off. Oh, very nice. So I'm assuming that the origins of the crowdsourcing, the center of excellence and the, the whole crowdsourcing approach arose to support sort of NASA, to support what NASA was trying to do. Have there been any really kind of cool NASA-focused solutions that you'd like to sort of maybe shine a light on? I'll let Ryan take that one. Sure. Yeah, it's funny. A lot of times when I get this question, I find myself wanting to highlight the maybe otherwise really boring seemingly solutions because (laughs) one of my favorite things about how crowdsourcing works is how it just breaks through the silos that otherwise exist. And it, it completely enables two groups to talk that would have never talked. And sometimes that's an internal, like we have an internal platform where we allow our NASA folks to post a challenge or something similar, basically ask a question to say, hey, I've got, does anyone know a software that could do this for me? Or, you know, how would I do that? I, I need, I'm creating this widget. What do you, what do you know about it? And it connects people from across the agency that wouldn't have otherwise been connected. A really good example of that is uh, we use this one frequently at Johnson Space Center. There was an engineer scientist who was looking to create a new means to measure urine in microgravity. Typically, you know, if you think of your chemistry days in high school, we use a graduated cylinder or things that rely on gravity. And so it's not quite so simple when you're in microgravity. And he was ready to do a over a million dollar contract to set this up multi-year and that was kind of pretty standard for whatever he was working on and fortunately came to nasa at work first and said "Hmm, i wonder if anyone at nasa has any insight into what i'm doing before i go launch this so decided to post this challenge which is free to him and you know within a couple weeks got a response that was only a few hundred yards away someone else at johnson space center had something that completely could be retrofitted to do what he needed and didn't cost him anything. And so it was an example of even just within NASA, people weren't talking and, you know, they were only a few hundred yards away at the time. This is just a few years ago. And so ultimately saves us taxpayers, you know, million dollars and lots of years of of time that would have been spent redeveloping something that we already had. And like, that's just a really cool solution that 
didn't cost NASA anything, but just a little bit of our time. And that's an interesting sort of angle on it because it's about enabling a connection amongst a group of people kind of in a different way than sort of what usually pops to mind, which is let's get a bunch of people, pick the people, and then put them in a room and then, you know, then figure out whatever the problem is or what the solution might be. Whereas this is simply just broadcasting, just putting it out mm-hmm. broadly and then seeing what happens. Yeah. And so whenever you have a traditional means of getting work done, so if you have one person working on a project, you know, that's relatively cheap, but you know, you can only pull from their knowledge and experience and there's going to be failure. We all fail all the time whenever we're not pushing success completely. Like that's just how it is. It's not a bad thing. That's just the nature of working. And when you get a group of people, it becomes, you know, you have a group dynamic that's more complicated. It's certainly more expensive because you're paying for all of these people to, to work together. There's nothing wrong with that collaboration and you need it lots of times. But it gets expensive and you're still only pulling on the dynamics and backgrounds and skills of that group of people. But when you use the internet to reach a wide audience, all of a sudden you only care about the successes that you're grabbing from all those people. And NASA at Work is kind of built on that, this internal platform where we post a question or a problem to the community, which is about half of NASA has opted in to be a part of this. And only those who have a solid answer even bother looking at it and replying. We don't want people to waste their time if they don't know how to measure measure urine in microgravity, right? If if you don't know, then move on. But those who have any possible insight, they respond and then we take advantage of that. And so it's a really cool means of collaboration that, yeah, like you said, it's very non-traditional. So there's a whole bunch of places, ways I could go with that. And and I think what I want to maybe start with is a question around collaboration itself. And, And do you think collaboration and crowdsourcing are different are they a different concept or are they sort of sort of reinforcing of one another i guess is the other way to to think about it and i'm kind of curious how you think about collaboration christine so i can talk to that a little bit yeah so i i think crowdsourcing is a method to enable us to collaborate and in the world today there is a lot of focus on diversity equity and inclusion And what a better way to do that than to allow anybody to participate. And I think, you know, collaboration is is probably most often thought of as something where two people, you know, get in a room. And crowdsourcing can sometimes end up with a very small group of people who are capable of responding to a problem we put out there. But often instead, what we find is this collaboration amongst the participants on a challenge we do a lot of data science and software challenges on platforms like TopCoder, and you'll see the people in the forums working with each other, trying to improve their solutions. It's not, you know, my rice bowl type of thing. Mm. It's just very enheartening to see, and they're doing it because they long for that community, right, who can help each other and teach each other and have a common interest. Anything you wanted to add to that, Ryan? That was pretty good. I think she got it. Awesome. Well, that, that kind of leads me to a question around the people who participate in, in crowdsourcing. Do you, do you find that it is sort of a smaller group of experts that typically, you know, if they see a challenge or it's their stick to, to get into this crowds type solutions, or is it pretty broad? Is it a broad selection of people that, that respond? It 
depends on the problem. And the answer to your question is both. <laughs> Unfortunately, <laughs> I think almost all the questions you're going to ask today, we're probably going to say it depends. <laughs> but, uh, hopefully we can provide some context. So it really depends on the problem. For the kind of problem that Christine was just talking about, for algorithm, data science, software, it would make no sense to pose that problem to me because I could not solve it. And so why would I even be on that? You know, why, would that why would they reach out to me as a crowd member? We only want people who have any ability to solve that because it's so focused. Now, within the algorithm and data science world or software world, there'll be plenty of perspectives and plenty of different skill sets that you can bring to the table. And so they might still have a crowd of a million people like that who can provide very different types of solutions, mm. which is great. But some problems where maybe we're just looking for an idea or something like the more like the potato chip example that Christine mentioned, all of a sudden everyone understands what a potato chip is and the concept of drying it isn't so crazy. And so like a lot of people can attack that. It's a much more generalized crowd. And so it really just kind of depends on where the problem comes from and how it's posed. So you have had projects where the general... The Joe Public, <laughs> I hate that phrase, but that's the phrase that everybody knows, uh, has an opportunity or has participated. And you've seen, have you seen some really interesting in innovations from sort of the, the less technical crowd? I think one example we have from, so do you mean a technical problem that was solved by a non-technical participant? I'll, I'll leave you the example to you. I'm curious how, are there examples where sort of general people have have weighed in in ways that have been really interesting and cool. Absolutely. Uh, I guess is what I would say. And there's, there's, there's so many to choose from. We've had people that uh, there's this one person, she had had a background in psychology and just decided, you know, I, I'm, I'm going to try this, even though I may not have the right expertise, this is something that's interesting to me. And she ended up teaching herself how to use CAD, you know, so, you know, drawing software. Yeah. And it was a lunar regolith collection challenge. And she actually tested her hypothesis using kitty litter. <laughs> <laughs> so a regolith, you know, is all the, the stuff on the moon. And she got third place and she had a psychology background. So she was like, and she has since like, gone on to study physics and got so interested in this has solved multiple challenges. She's one of our star solvers. Oh, very nice. Any examples come to your mind, Ryan? Yeah, I think just a more general description of why people participate is helpful. Uh, we often say there's the four G's, gold, guts, glory, and good. Some people do it just for the money. Usually some combination of all these things. Some people do it because they like hard challenges and they want to be innovative, and they consider themselves to be particularly innovative, so they want to try to solve hard things. Some people like the the honors of being first. Some of the, some of the platforms are really good at you know highlighting those who have kind of been the best solvers. Maybe there's different tiers or scoring mechanisms. And then good, some people just like to participate in and help the world. NASA itself is a very strong brand, so we're very fortunate to work for NASA because across the world, it's got to be one of the strongest brands Every, pretty much every country, everybody knows what NASA is and holds it in pretty high regard. And so we often see competitions that let's think of some, like we might have somewhere we'll, we'll post to a bunch of freelancers looking to do maybe a graphic or something just for a few hundred dollars even. And we've seen plenty of situations where non-winners have posted 
thank you for letting me participate in this. It's been my life's goal to work for NASA, and I feel like I finally got to contribute in some way. And we've seen that multiple times. So it's really cool that we're able to bring the fact that, you know, Christine and I happen to work for NASA. We're very fortunate, obviously. But every once in a while, we're able to enable the rest of the world to do that same thing. And it's it's awesome. And that that often checks that box for the good. And that's one of those four Gs that lots of people do crowdsourcing for. And that brings to mind, for me, one of the smallest challenges I've ever done. It was a $250 prize to develop a patch <laughs> you know, just a patch for uniforms for the International Space Station. They were demonstrating a, a refabricator, so a type of recycler, and they wanted a patch design to commemorate that mission. And the, we had over 200 applications, unique applications on that one uh, and designs. And the young man who won, he was from South Brazil, he was ecstatic because he had visited Johnson Space Center in Houston when he was 11 years old. And this was just truly an honor for him. So I don't think he did it for the $250. Is there recognition given to everybody who participates? Like there's a prize or it can be a prize, but is it a, a case where if you, if you put in a reasonably viable solution, is there sort of a, a recognition of that or how, how typically do you structure those types of things? Yeah, not really. It's part, it's part of the game, right? You're, you're taking a risk by putting your time in to participate in these contests and not everybody wins a contest. We usually have winners. And sometimes when someone is so close to that, that winning you know, group, we will do honorable mentions and, and offer non-monetary prizes. Sounds like it would be one of the biggest challenges that might face you is how you actually evaluate the solutions to know, all right, what is the best idea to solve this problem? Can you can you maybe shine a little light into, now I realize it's going to be problem specific, but what kinds of things do you, do you try and look for in the best, the best solution? So leading up to the whole crowdsourcing project, a lot of time is spent on developing that project developing the challenge is often we're doing a prize and challenge methodology that's what we've been talking about a lot and so before the the nasa or other government agency kind of project owners even get to the contractor that's going to help us get to the crowd within cosi we'll often kind of help them start just developing what are you looking for how are you going to implement it and that's really the key to the question that you're asking is what's going to provide the most value to this to the government and in doing so what's going to enable this project team to use the solution? What's going to get them the biggest leap forward? Because that's the whole point of this, right? This It's one thing that some people struggle with is it's not just fun and games. This is real work getting done. And it just happens to be that other people are doing it at the beginning. And so we develop requirements and then the contractors help us move forward. And so we really rely on these different crowdsourcing companies who have the crowds to help us develop the challenge such that we're going to be getting a good solution. And part of that is developing really good evaluation criteria. And like you said, it's going to completely depend on the problem. But typically the way that works is once we get a lot of good solutions, then the contractor delivers the to a judging panel, which is made up of experts from the government typically. Sometimes it's non-government as well. And they evaluate those. And we work really hard to try to ensure that 
we are being as fair as possible. Like, so we always, you know, have really good structure to that judging process to ensure that everything we're doing is, you know, being as fair as possible to every possible applicant. Is there also an aspect of trying to essentially remove bias from that? Because, of course, experts might be expecting a certain kind of solution and may discount something that is particularly novel. Is that, is that something you try and guard against? Yeah. In fact, one contract off the top of my head, but I'm sure the others that we have as well, they actually scale each judge's responses, like scores, based on like how harsh they've been. They normalize everything. Oh. And so, yeah, it's, there, a lot of effort is put in to make sure that no one's, no one's giving particular bias in one way or the other. And what's nice is this takes time. The whole process of just developing the challenge, developing the valuation criteria, that often takes a month or two before. So we'll get this kind of kicked off with a contractor to figure out what is it that we want? What are we looking for? What are we going to call it? What's it going to look like? What is it that you need specifically? What are the end items and deliverables going to be? How many winners do you want? What's the payouts for those? It, all those, all that's a discussion. And so we, it takes time. And by the time you get through all that, the project owners who very likely haven't done crowdsourcing projects before start to get a pretty good feel for what this is. And I think they start to realize that, oh, okay, we're going to be getting some kind of out-of-the-box solutions here. And that's a good thing. And so hopefully that's also just baked into the process of kind of removing the internal biases they probably already had. Right. Is there also an angle of I guess what I'm trying to get to is I'm curious how experts take the solutions that are coming from the crowd, like solutions maybe to problems that they couldn't solve themselves. <laughs> do you often hit or do you hit this idea that the experts in the field are a little put out by the crowd, <laughs> the crowd solution? You know, sometimes we have people who they're just not on board at the beginning. But when you get to the end, I mean, Deep down, they just want an answer to their problem, right? <laughs> and so a solution is a solution. And I don't think I've seen anybody shun it. Right. Yeah, I would say we f- pretty frequently early on in the conversation, whether it's us talking about what we do as you know a tool in their toolbox to a NASA employee or somebody else, we get pushback. There's no question. But once they get those solutions pretty much every one of them comes on board. In fact, we one thing that we should have mentioned when you ask what is COSI that I, I neglected to include was COSI is also a group of people who work really hard to document and collect metrics for every single project that we've done for the past 10 years so that we can continue to explain the benefits and make sure that we actually are benefiting the government. And so we've got tons of metrics. We do kind of a pre-kickoff survey and a closeout survey where we we have a bunch of specific questions that we ask project owners to say like how successful was it you know how much would it have cost you to do this exact same project traditionally how much time would it have cost have spent how many hours did you spend on this project you know, so we can kind of compare apples to apples to see like what did we save or was this successful and one of the questions that we asked was would you use crowdsourcing again should you have a problem like this in the future? And basically 99% of the people we work with say yes. And I can promise you way less than 99% of them are all super enthusiastic when we first start talking to them. Right. How influential are the numbers? Are numbers like that? Not so much the, the, the mindset change because I'm thinking the effectiveness of the project. How effective are those numbers in sort of swaying people towards a crowdsourcing solution at the beginning? What I'm trying to get to a little bit here, though, is this idea that some people will, regardless of the facts, still discount the approach. 
And so I'm kind of curious sort of how, how that sort of shakes out in your world where you're convincing people. It's huge. Honestly, it's got to be one of the biggest convincing arguments we have. We have a lot of technical people who want to rely on their technical skills and they're very used to what they've been doing for a long time. There's a prevalence of, you know, that wasn't created by NASA. Why would it be good? We're the experts. And it's not just a NASA thing. NASA's excellent place to work, excellent people. Everywhere has that same problem. And when I'm trying to pitch to somebody or explain to them, this is a good means to solve a problem sometimes. I can say that and it all sounds great, but they will say, yeah, but like, do you have any proof? And then we show them, yes, we do. You know, <laughs> 94% of the time our projects are successful. Have you ever been that successful? And they're like, yeah, I can't, I can't say that I have. And like, yeah, we've done almost 600 projects now and we've seen the success rate. We've, we've saved, you know, almost $50 million for the government in the past 10 years using this. And we can, we can back it up with lots of data. And so when we start showing them that this, this hard data, like you can't deny it. And I, I can think of very specific occasions where I started a conversation with somebody really badgering me and giving me a tough time because they didn't think it was real. And no kidding, by the end, they came up to me and said, I didn't believe you, but by the time we were done talking, I can't deny the numbers that you have. So now I'm interested. And right. So yeah, absolutely. It sways people. And so Christine, you work across government agencies. Do you see, have you seen a shift in some of the agencies you worked with to, to move from, I guess, opposition to advocate? They get on board and then they, they want to use this sort of more often than not? Yes, we have many repeat offenders. Uh, once they experience it, uh, they come back for more. You know, a few that come to mind are the Bureau of Reclamation and National Institutes of Health. Once they find they've had a success in one part of these, these are very big government agencies. And once, uh, you know, there's been a demonstrated result you know, of success, some people want in on it, right? And so we get more and more opportunities. So I'm going to pause the conversation there and carry it on in the second episode coming in a couple of weeks. This conversation was really fun and covered a lot of ground. And I wanted to point specifically to a couple of things that I heard during this last half hour or so. I really like how Ryan and Christine kind of used their technical background as a way to build bridges amongst different technical expertise, kind of a cross-disciplinary approach. This seems sort of contrary to how many experts view their expertise and that they're only able to speak to others in their area, whereas Christine and Ryan use that as a, as a way to try and understand and learn how other disciplines work and use it as a tool to build bridges. I also really appreciate the idea that crowdsourcing is about, or can be about, breaking down silos. I think Ryan mentioned the, I think, at NASA application that allows just the people from inside the agency to post challenges and seek solutions from their counterparts inside the agency. I think too often companies or organizations are quick to go outside to seek an answer that may exist inside their own walls. In the second half of our conversation coming in a couple of weeks, Ryan, Christine, and I talk about the kinds of problems that can be crowdsourced, what happens with the solutions that come in from the crowd, and a little bit about how crowdsourcing can be orchestrated. If you like this episode, please think of a few friends who might like it too. Tell them about this episode and about the show, and if they're new to podcasting, show them how to follow us. Until the next time, happy collaborating. You've been listening to Cool Collaborations. 
Please make sure you visit collaboration-dynamics.com where you can subscribe to the show in iTunes, in Stitcher, or wherever you get your podcasts. Be sure to sign up for our mailing list so interesting things like blog posts, upcoming training, or collaboration tips and tricks can come to your inbox. If you like what you heard, I'd be grateful for a rating in Apple Podcasts. Of course, if you'd like to just tell a friend about the show, that would be great too. Check out the show notes for links and contact information. Until the next episode, thanks and happy collaborating. Collaborating.